wondering if, if uh, we can bring the words up uh, that we just sang up on the screen, break my heart. If I, um, this is a dangerous prayer. If you meant it, it's a dangerous prayer. And I just sat there and thought, boy, if I, today we, we uh, close out these conversations that we've been having about being designed. And if I could sum it up, uh, this would be it for today. And it's a prayer that I would hope that you would pray on a broader sense. God, we say, God, I want you to break my heart personally, but break it for a larger reason. And that is tough. That is tough in a culture that used to be back in the 30s and 40s. Generations were for, for God and country. And once we passed through the tunnel of the 1960s, something happened. It was no longer for God and country. It began to be more about me and covering my own backside. And last night I watched a show, uh, 13 Hours to Benghazi. I don't know if you saw it. They ran it on Fox uh, News. Riveting. It's on, it's on tonight. I don't promote TV shows that much, but I tell you, it's, I, I saw it's on tonight at 8 o'clock again. It, it was on last night again at midnight. I recorded it, but these are some soldiers, and, and wherever you fall on that issue, it's not the point uh, right now. Uh, it is a point, but it, I'm not going to make that point, but I, the, the honor of these Marine Rangers, of Navy SEALs, the honor that they have for this country, and it, it, it's just stunning. The the things that they went through, uh, the injuries are too grotesque to even mention right here. You have to you have to watch it for yourself, and you can turn it off if it gets too bad. But the the guy that was <clears throat> interviewing him, he said, "Would you do it again?" Just like that, they said in a heartbeat. He said, "We're they said we're not getting caught up in the politics. Don't ask us those questions, but we would do it in a heartbeat." Because we're fighting evil in this world and we're fighting for our country. And, and just the grander scheme of these individuals sitting there was remarkable. And, I, and several times I was weeping. And several times I'd stop it and call my wife and say, look at this. Look at the heart of these guys. That if we could find this in the body of Christ not just for my own inspiration, not for my own being in syncness with God, but for His kingdom cause that we, God, would you break our hearts for a grander vision, for a grander, bigger picture. I'll be honest with you. I rarely see it. But I believe with all my heart that there can be a revival, not nationwide, God can do anything He wants. But what I, I have hope for in my lifetime is to see pockets of local churches who allow God to break their hearts for things beyond their own wants, things beyond their own desires, their own plans, their own design, all those things for a grander vision. We've had people in this church that have said, hey, I'd like to be a leader. And we said, would you be willing to go through this for a grander vision? Some leave, but some say, absolutely. There, the, the number of people that drop out of Navy SEALs and, and Marine Rangers is, is off the chart. But for those who stay for the bigger picture, oh, the, these are a rare breed. And so today as we start, I had no idea that I, I wanted to start, but that just, that just sparked something in me today to say, lean forward in a bigger picture way today. I know we've come to church. We've come, you've come to be inspired. But I hope that I can elevate your thinking. In such a way. Let me rephrase that. Who am I? I'm a human being. I hope that the Holy Spirit. Will elevate your thinking this morning. So that you will say. Gosh I was. I had these plans. But ah, for the kingdom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recalibrate. This is what I have in mind, but for the sake of the kingdom, I, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to sacrifice something. I'm going to change something. I'm going to elevate something. I'm going to reprioritize something because the bigger picture does affect our little picture. 
Our story, this life is not about our story. We just get to be part of his story. And so uh, with that in mind, I'll see you next week. That's all I got right there. I hope that we can elevate ourselves. And with that that in mind, I'm just going to pray. I I know we've prayed several times, but I just want to pray specifically if you would afford me that for a couple of minutes. Father, thank you for this time in your word. And I do pray right now that you will do something miraculous in this room that no human being could ever do. No words of logic or inspiration or eloquence could ever do. I pray, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would break our heart for what breaks yours, for the kingdom's cause. And with that in mind, God, I pray that your word would come alive to us. That like these marine rangers, that whatever sacrifice that it would take, God, if we were asked, would you do it again? We'd say, in a heartbeat. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for some of you sports fans, today is an important day. Everybody know what that is? It's the first day of NFL uh, on a Sunday. I think, I think the schedule started last Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. And I was just thinking about that. I actually enjoy watching football. I don't know... Uh, uh, you know, a ton about it, but uh, enough about it to enjoy it. And I was just thinking this silly thought as we kind of kick off the season. Can you imagine if we did just, maybe it would be a special Sunday for NFL and just did random NFL. I mean, everything would be random. So, you know, you have uh, how many players on a field? 11? Is that the way we were all? 11? Yes, somebody say, okay. So let's just say all of a sudden you could say, hey, let's just do 23. And, uh, but th- you could have 23 and the other team could have 11. Just, oh, you could just change it up all the time. All of a sudden, you could take like, you know, 45 minutes in a huddle instead of 30 seconds. You just say, hey, we're going to, you know, we brought a little snack with us and we're going to really break it down. The last few players didn't go all that well, so we're going to, you know, spend some extra time. But, you know, we're not telling anybody. We're just kind of switching it up. And let's say the players all of a sudden became the referees. And they're saying, now I'm going to call the play. And, and, and now they're really tight on uh, pass interference. You know, you can't touch the guy when they're, they're, they're heightening those. But let's say in the middle of the game, you say, yeah, I just don't like that rule. And so, you know, the, the guy's going to catch the pass and you just kick him right as soon as it comes, and he just falls down. Yeah, it's okay, because you know what? Today's random day. I mean, wouldn't that be, uh, it would be fun to watch. It probably wouldn't be fun to play. (laughs) No boundaries. Let's say, you know, all of a sudden, I declare the 15-yard line touchdown. I'm going to just say, it's it's a touchdown. That that whole red zone thing, kind of hard down there. So I'm saying, we're going to do 20-yard line. Hey, this is it. Right here, as soon as I get there, it scores. Fumble, you got it back, I get it back. I'll pay you a dollar, you give me the ball. You, you see what I'm saying? It just seems ridiculous, doesn't it? We watch a game and says, well, of course it has to be designed. There have to be lines and boundaries and time clocks. There have to be men who wear, uh, that wear black and white stripes who keep the rules. There has to be an association who have their home office in New York City that says, okay, here are the rules for this year. We're going to change them up a little bit. They have to have, you know, head honchos in some big office somewhere. You've got to have whistles and horns and, and things that stop the game, and, and you have to have penalty flags, and you have to have uh, uh, reruns or whatever you call it, uh, previews, and, you know, when they, they didn't get it right down there, you know, uh, whatever it's called, you know, they watch it back. And they have to have all those things because it, there has to be a design, whether we like it or not. And you think about our lives, how designed we are. And some things we don't like, even though we don't like them, we need them. Taxes, we need to, you need to take taxes. Now, whether they're done right and all that jazz is a different story, but you have to have taxes, you have to have government, you have to have policemen, you have to have national security, you have to have the CIA, you have to have the NSA, well, maybe not. You have to have, no, I'm just kidding. You have to have all these designed organizations. Today, I, 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 I took an early morning walk, and when I came back, I guess they distribute our, our uh, neighborhood association uh, monthly paper. This one was particularly large. It was like uh, a double-sided, about 12 pages. 
And, and you know, every association's got them. If you live in, ours happens to be a pretty tight association. There's just a lot of rules. And I'm thinking, this is all these people can do because it takes so much time about your hedges and how they got to be clipped and you can't park a truck here and you can't park past 10 o'clock. And, and it was so funny. I was just kind of perusing them real quick. And there's just one thing after the next. I mean, just over the top. It was like, yeah, and you got to make sure your roof is clean. You got to make sure your drive is clean. There's some people who got a tree branch clean and make sure that the paint color in your house we've posted paint colors in the little clubhouse thing down there and if you're going to paint your house it's got to be one of those colors and it just keeps on going page after page and at the end of this thing no joke this morning at the end of this thing i turn it i'm going through it and it says at the end five people have their homes for sale and three others sold theirs in the last two months i'm like well no wonder i don't want to be here either after all this mess dude i'm just trying to live I get in my car this morning. I turn the, the key. I'm driving to church. I look at my speedometer, and it is flat on zero. It never moved. You know what I thought? This is awesome. <laughs> I'll take this baby to 70, and I have an excuse. I didn't know. I'm sorry. There was no design. There was nothing. I don't like speed limits and neighborhood associations any more than anybody else does, but we need them, don't we? I don't like taxes, but we need them. Sometimes I don't like being governed any more than anybody, but we need government. Here's my point. As we end this collection, I want to remind us that we are a designed people that must live in a designed world. Anything without a design has a couple of labels, random, and as silly as random seems with my NFL illustration, it would seem that way in life. But the other word I would use is more serious. A society without a design is anarchy. Some people say, I wish we didn't have any government. I'm like, think again. Have you noticed countries that don't, where the government falls apart? Have you noticed within our own country when there's a natural disaster, the looting and the fires and the, just the chaos, and all of a sudden in those moments you realize severely, wow, we need a design here. We need a plan. When things are happening with ISIS in the Middle, in the middle East, the general population is saying, let's get a plan. Where's the plan? We need a design. Otherwise, we have this sense of lostness, don't we? And so as we finish this, I, I want to reinforce the idea that we are a designed people as human beings living in, on this planet. But God also has, a, has created for us a, a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous design. Take creation. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna do a sweep here, just to to get your mind thinking. Oh wow! Just elevate our minds, our thinking. Like we, there is a lot of design. We've spoken quite a bit about creation because we've hovered in Genesis chapter one for some time. But let me just remind us that this this place we live called the planet Earth and the Milky Way galaxy has so much design to it. Think about creation, that God didn't create animals and say, ah, doggone it, I forgot to create water. He created, those six days that he created were in a very specific order and sequence. You can see the design just come out. I, I could go all afternoon about the design of creation. I think we've spoken enough about it. But the things that we need, the proteins and the, and the uh, amino acids and all these things, this design that God has required, put us to require and provided them, the distance of the planets and the sun, the planet Earth and the sun, the, the irrigation system, all these things are amazing designs that God has had for us. Now watch this. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12, I take these scriptures at face value. I believe that they are true. I don't need a science degree to say, hmm, I wonder. I listen to these words. Who has measured the waters of this planet in the hollow of his hands? Or with the breadth of his hands marked off 
the heavens. God, the architect, has measured in his hands the exact dimensions of this planet. Think, ah, that's too much for me to think about. Me too. But I believe it. I believe that God, the creator of this universe, who miraculously spoke into existence this whole place in six days, could measure off the heavens and mark off the waters. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance? He knows exactly to the gram how much Mount Everest weighs. I don't believe it. I believe your God is too small. This is nothing. It's like, uh, imagine us. Like, we pick up a can of pork and beans and say, it's 16 ounces. How do you know that? Because it says on the label. It's just that easy. We, th these things are, are very easy to figure out. For God, it is nothing. Creation, an amazing design. Let's take your body. Did you know that as you sit here today, you have 60,000 miles of blood vessels. That's enough to circumnavigate the earth two and a half times. Isn't that amazing? Your eye muscles, did you know today that you'll use your eye muscles 100,000 times? What a design. That's, it, it's stunning. Did you know that um, your circulatory system today, your blood will travel 12,000 miles. That's enough to cross the U.S. four times. Every second, your body is designed to create, to produce 25 million new cells. And in the next 13 seconds, you will create more new cells in your body than people living in the United States. Think about that. You're looking new, by the way, Brad. Looking good over there. The design of the body is amazing. God calls our body the temple. When you look at the temple of the Old Testament, it's crazy of the detail of the design. And the Old Testament, you know, was mobile. They, they were moving around, so they called it the tabernacle, and they had poles, and they had uh, hooks and loops and hoops and curtains and tapestry. If you read through the Old Testament in the early part of the Old Testament, you think this is kind of the boring part, but it's also the stunning part. When God says, this many cubits long, and I want the tapestry to be this color, I want you to end lay gold on the hoops. It's like God is right down to the design. And you think, where did that come from? You remember when Moses was up on the hill, on the mountain, and, the, and uh, we discovered last week that he was um, uh, talking about the first five books of the Bible. He came down with the Ten Commandments and all that. But check this out. In Exodus chapter 25, here's something else that Moses was doing up on the mountain. God said to him, Moses, have the people, Moses, Exodus 25, have the people make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the design, like the pattern I would show to you. In other words, your body is designed. Creation is designed. God's space, His worship space was designed. The temple, when it was the permanent temple, was finally built. Incredible design. And then we find out later in the book of uh, Hebrews that this was just a shadow of what was to come, that there is a design in heaven, the new Jerusalem. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. Take the Bible that some of you are holding in your hands. Let's just take the, new the, the Old Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books. But when you look closely at it, the symmetry, the design of the Old Testament is stunning. Now, I may lose you here. Just keep with me on the bigger picture that there's a design if you, if, if you, if you lost me somewhere. 39 books. There are 17 books in, 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 um, uh, on one side. You've got five books of inspiration, and you've got 17 more books. It's a perfect symmetry. And when you take the 17 books, the first five books are history. The next 12 books are about pre-exile. The next three are about post exile. You got these five in the middle that are inspirational, experiential, like Psalms, Proverbs, etc. Then you got, uh, you got uh, 17 that are uh, uh, prophecy. And of those prophecy, the first five are history. And the next 12 are pre-exile. And the last three are post-exile. And you're like, I don't even know what you're saying. Let me just say, it's like a diamond. This Bible that you hold in your hand, it's like five and twelve and three and five and five and three twelve and three and five. And it's history, and I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. It's just so exciting. You get it. It's not just a bunch of random stories 
that are inspirational put together. The deeper you get into the Word, there are so many times I'm sitting alone at my desk and I honestly say, Oh my God! Literally. This is stunning to read your Word. It is a design. I think about the design of the church. Think about Jesus. He could have come down and said, Man, I wonder what I'm going to do. Uh, I know I'm going to die for the sins of the world, but I, I, I wonder what. No, very designed. Three and a half years of leadership development. Very intentional. And then he says to the disciples, now you're going to have to take it from here. But part of the design is this. Wait. Don't go out on the trip without fuel. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we read this, th- these words. And then, according to the design... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. It's exactly how it happened. And then in all of Judea and Samaria, that's exactly how it happened. Then after that, to the ends of the world, he had a design of leadership development. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Do your thing in Jerusalem. Sketch it out in Samaria, Judea. And then we'll go to the ends of the world. There's a design in how he worked all of these things. I think about the future. In Matthew chapter 24, God says, Jesus said, let me lay out the future for you. It's not just going to be like, boy, I hope it turns out all right. I hope the time clock doesn't run out. He says, no, there are going to be signs for you. There are going to be wars and rumors of war. There's going to be famine. There's going to be disease. He said, these are the signs like a pregnant woman gives signs that, that things begin to happen. You know the baby's coming. There's a design to the whole thing. And then what's going to happen is that, that the church is going to be raptured out. They're going to be taken out. Some people are like, oh, really? Is that sci-fi? No more sci-fi than anything else in the Bible. If God can, and I have my own ideas, we'll talk about that at one point. God's going to take it in order, take the church out. Tribulation will uh, come in. Uh, Armageddon will take place. The second coming of Christ, we will come, some will come and reign with him and fight with him. Then the millennial will happen, the, the thousand year reign of Christ. And then we will be taken up, there will be the wedding the feast of the Lamb. Everything is in order. If I've lost you, let me just say, there's a design. It's a design to creation. There's a design to our body. There's a design to our future. There's a design to, to, to the temple where God had, Everything had a design. Finally, let me say this. How about salvation? God didn't just say, man, I don't know what to do with these people. But think about this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect. He was designed, this whole plan of salvation was laid out before Genesis 1. Before the creation of the world, there was a design, Christ. It was revealed only in these last times. You remember when Adam sinned. The first thing that happened was an animal was sacrificed and thus initiated, inaugurated a sacrificial system where there was a scapegoat, where the priest laid his hands on the goat and all the sins of the community were laid on that and transferred to that animal. It was killed outside the camp just like Christ. The blood was taken into the Holy of Holies. And when we come into the New Testament, Christ is not just some self-made religious leader that came up with a random plan the plan and the design had been in place since the creation before the creation of the world the the lamb the passover lamb the priest the holy of holies and when we get to the to the book of hebrews we're told that christ after the resurrection came and presented into the holy the true holy of holies the sacrifice of himself and everything that we had seen in the old testament was a design I find it amazing. There is no doubt that we live as very designed people. Now, here's where I'm going to bring it right home. I'm going to bring it home first collectively as us, as a church. As God's church. Now, I want to say this nicely, but I want you to understand my heart. I believe that it is the job of those who speak for, for Christ in this generation or in any generation is to survey what's happening 
in, this, in that particular culture. John Wesley, for example, saw what was happening in factories in England. He, he addressed that. He, uh, preachers of, uh, uh, in early America were, uh, were addressing issues of alcoholism and, and, just, uh, uh, and, and preachers uh, uh, later were uh, addressing, thankfully, some, yes, some no, the atrocities of, of slavery in this country and, and, and civil rights and those, those things. You, we have to be able to look at our culture, whoever we are, whatever century we look at, and say, let me address that. It is never popular. If you want the largest church in America, then just say sweet things and don't address negative patterns. And you can have the largest church in America. But if you want to, I believe, be true to God's word, we must say, okay, let's address some things. And some things, some of those times our fingers have to point as, to ourselves as a culture. When I begin to speak about the church culture, some people think, I don't think you ought to speak about the church culture and, and, and get a little bit of bit out of shape. If we don't evaluate ourselves, if we don't look truly and squarely at the fact that the church in America is losing, we're losing our voice, we're losing our impact. If we're not willing to look at that, listen, we will continue to spiral to nothingness and in a designed world created by the great designer he would shout out through human beings let's stop the downward spiral let's stop it here's what I mean what are you getting at I've, I've built you up to now you're like <laughs> listen I laid all these layers of design out for you to make it seem so ridiculous that, that anything would be random, your life, but what I'm about to say in the church world, so that when it comes to church culture, let's just do random. Let's just do random. It seems... With all these layers, the temple, the Bible, creation, heaven, our future, salvation, all these layers of very, 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 very fine detailed uh, design and structure and direction, that it would seem asinine that we as a church culture would approach what we do in a random way. Therefore, in the church culture, it becomes stunning if we were to ask what is your end goal here I don't know to bring people to Christ really that's it to speak about God really that just that broad is there any end goal that you have how will you know when you get there what measurables do you have in place to track progress where does Joe when he comes in for the first time to Christianity where does he start? Does he look at a, at, a, at a cheesecake factory style menu and say, well, I could join the softball team. I could join uh, this Bible study, this men's Bible study. I could go to the potluck on Wednesday night. And you say, and what we would say is, just pick one, Joe. And in our culture, the heartbreaking thing for me in the church culture that I love, by the way, love it. I would take us by the shoulders and say, let's take it more seriously, this design part. Like, what do you mean by this, Steve? I mean that Joe walks in the door. We can tell Joe, here's where you start. Here's where we're going. Here's how you know where you are along the way. Here's how you can measure. And here's what spiritual success looks like according to the map. For us at 360, we have worked very hard at this. Do we have it perfect? Yes. I'm just kidding. We don't. Of course not. Are we the only church on the block that's doing it? Of course not. I'm more excited when I hear churches. This is why I say to you, when you come to a church, ask what makes them tick. What spiritual success look for you? like for you? How are you going to get there? What are the measurables? Where do I start? Where do I end? Is 
there a plan to make disciples? Or are you just talking about it? Are we just saying, I'm going to reach Florida for Christ? Come on. It's too random. You, you understand what I'm saying? Here's why. We will never experience the jazz. This is the pastor's heart that I hope you'll hear. When I'm being hard, when I'm, last couple of weeks we talked about being east of the river. And you're like, ah, oh, gee, I, I, I got pretty hard. Because there's no jazz east of the river. You remember the Gadites and the Rumanites and, and, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They said, oh, here's an opportunity for us. We love, the, we love this part of the world. We love this part of the country. And that's going to be our choice. We're going to live here because this is a lot more. And you're like, oh, you're missing the jazz west of the river. I would say to a church culture, this is why church has become boring because random is boring. What do I do? Where am I going? I'd like to know. I'd rather know how high to trim my hedge if that's what you want to do. Now I know. I'd like to know where I'm going. I want to know what spiritual success is like. Do you? We must, must, must have a plan. When I'm reading the early part of the scriptures... I believe that it's important to understand some principles. Watch this. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. God said to Noah, these words, As long as the earth endures, forever and ever and ever, here's a principle that will not change, Noah. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Okay, okay. you think, wow. Talk about random, Steve. That was random. Here's what this means. Some things never change. Principles never change. A farmer plants a seed, but first there's a design. He or she must plow the ground, must get the ground ready, must put that seed down in the soil. Then you know what they do? They water. They have to. A farmer say, can't say, you know what, I, I don't think I'm going to water. I, I'm going to save some money. I'm not going to throw some money. No, you got to. But you know what a farmer must do and cannot control? Time. Time. Part of God's design for us is a time issue. This is the core of what I want to say to us today. Even though culture around us has sped up, starting with the Industrial Revolution, where you can make more widgets quicker, even though that's happened, even though the Internet is snip-snap this way, the principle of moving ahead takes time. Designs take time. Okay, what do you mean by that? Our church here at 360 in November will be eight years old. We, we planted this church with six people. We now have... There are now about 700 people here at, at um, 360. That's taken time. We know that. But if you ask me how old your church is, Steve, I would say it's about four years old. Because the first four years old, the first four years were kind of this random trying to figure out what we didn't. We were our, our, um, uh, our motto for the first four years. We still have some old T-shirts. So 360, unleashed. It was even fun to say, unleashed. We were unleashed from everything we didn't want to be, but we didn't know what we wanted to be. We knew what we didn't want to be. <laughs> and unfortunately, contemporary churches in America can stay right there. Well, here's what we don't do, and we have a lot of those. We don't go in debt. We don't do all these things, right? But at one point, you'd say, okay, where are we going? Three years ago, our congregation, our church, now here's where I'm going to bring into a little bit of history. Don't, don't fall asleep on me because it matters. Three years ago, we said, you know what? We were doing a lot out in the community. We were giving out waters, a bottle. We were doing hot dogs. We were doing all those things. And at the end of the day, we looked at each other and said, you know, not one single relationship of any depth has come out of this. You know how good it felt? It felt awesome. I tell you, we give out hot dogs on the beach. We were the hero of the beach. Oh, really? That is awesome. Thank you so much. Do you have a little more mustard? 
I mean, we've, you, you know, you can start giving out stuff to people. You, you feel like, man, this is awesome. We're going around the world. We were giving out stuff. It just felt great. But at the end of the day, we had to ask ourselves the question, is this really getting to the design that God, that Jesus prayed? Father, I pray that they will be tight like you and I are tight. Had nothing to do with it, but we felt good. See, feeling good is not part of the design. Jesus didn't ever say, hey, sign up. You're going to feel good. I don't, I don't find a verse like that anywhere. So graciously, this church allowed us, as we led, to say, we're, we're going to shut it down. Tick some people off. We're going to shut it down because here's the deal. We're going out to reach people. You know where there are people hurting that we missed? Aisle four. Right over from the seat. We had this sense that, wait a minute, this is whacked out. We're falling into the pattern of what's happening in the American church, that we're feeling good about ourselves. We're going out. We're giving out stuff. We're doing this. We're telling other people, oh, you got to come join us because it's awesome. But in the room, people are dying. They're broken. They're going through divorces. They're going through hardships. They're going through financial hardships. They're going through insecurities. They're saying, could somebody, could somebody help me? I'm sitting on aisle four. The clincher, perhaps, was when my mother said, as a widow, she had some things happening to her house. You know what she said to me? As a mother can only sting you? She said, maybe if I didn't go to 360, I could get some help. I'm like, you're out of the will. <laughs> no, wait, I'm in your will. How's that work? <laughs> that was stinging. But you know what? It was true. So three years ago... We said, we've got to learn to be a community first so that when we go out, we have something to say, so that we're true, we're authentic. In that time, we have now finished the discipleship. We have 80 people. So, and someone just told me this morning, someone just told me this morning, she said, I don't know how you make announcements. She, she was away out of town. Her, her uh, son contracted dengue fever. I have had dengue fever. It's called breakbone. It is one of the harshest diseases that you can get. It's a temporary thing for most people, but it is excruciating. I got it when I was in El Salvador. Awful. And she said, I didn't know what's going on. That's what I love about this church. So many great things going on. But some people say, I need to hear more stories. Here's one for you. She came back. She says, you've, you've shepherded this church real well. And I'm like, it, 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 it's more of a teamwork than that. I've never felt so cared for. You offer me prayer you offer me plane tickets to come back to you. Just, just went on and on and about. And I'm like, you know what? That's a message I can now take to the world. That we really do care for one another. But you know what it took? You know what it took? It took the hardest thing that Americans wrestle with. You know what it took? It took time. It took time. And I know there's like, oh, when are we going to go out? When are we? You know, we've got this anxiousness to do because it's hard to be, isn't it? Isn't it easier to, to put a roof on somebody's house than to, to sit down with them and have a cup of coffee and say, what's happening in you? I notice your heart is breaking. Let's get down, and I'll be here next week, and I'll be here next week, and I'll be here next week, and I'll be here next week because a project ends, but a human being keeps on going. It's easy to go and give out stuff at Christmas and Thanksgiving. God forbid that we do that and not care for one another. And so now... What's happening is we, we've had these three years of, of incubating. This is exactly the design that Christ said. Look, I'm going to huddle with you guys for three and a half years. Wait on the Holy Spirit. And then in Jerusalem, we're going to build the thing before we go out. And God says, you got to do the same thing. And so we're now designing some, some outreach opportunities, but not just to give out stuff, to begin to have relationships with people. And they're hard to find. What we do at the Pregnancy Crisis Center was a trial run, and it's working 
beautifully. We have an at group that is close. People within that group discipling one another. They're tight, and now they're having relationships with the same people every other week for nine months until the baby comes, and then probably after that. There's no handing out. There's just authentic love. I'm digging what's happening, but we had to wait for it. So I would say it to you today, thank you for your patience because we are trying to change a church culture in the way we think, and it is brutally difficult. You have to have a, a fierce determination to keep your eyes on the mark and not be swayed by the easiness of church culture in this day. I was just reading in Forbes magazine the other day. Check this quote out. Changing an organization's culture is one of the most difficult leadership challenges. Now let me bring it right down to your seat, to where you sit today. Collectively, I believe that we have to take time as a church, and we have, and I thank you for it. I believe that the payoff is huge. The stories that I'm hearing and we are preparing to share with you, I have never heard. I've had two conversations with, with people this week that I have never heard this level of depth of relationship and openness and transparency in 30-plus years of ministry, ever. Now, let me take, take it to you. You are a designed being living in a designed world. This is why the purpose-driven uh, life sold millions and millions of copies. You know why? Because inherently, we like, I know I'm designed for something. I know that there's a purpose. I know that there, I'm here for something. That's why a book like that, if you, just, you put a title on it, it's a great book, by the way, a title on purpose-driven life, like, I want a part of that. Millions want a part of that. I'm reminded today in Psalm 139, verse 15, that my frame, your frame, was not hidden from you, God, when I was made in the secret place. That's the, our, our mother's womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Again, that we're, we're clay. They're talking about mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed bodies. Watch this. All of the days that were designed for me, ordained for me, set out for me, were written in your book before my first day on earth. You are a design creature that God has specifically for you. Psalm uh, uh, 56 verse 8. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? God, that's not the only place this is found in the Bible. That God, every time we weep, every time we say, break my heart for what breaks yours and tears running down your, your cheeks for the kingdom cause, for the grander vision. That somehow, miraculously, God is going to say, you know, you got 60,000 uh, miles of uh, blood vessels in you. Did you know? Did you know in your lifetime that you shed 1,187 tears for the kingdom? That God is recording that? I hope to high heaven that when I get there, the number is not zero. I saw no tears, no breaking for a grander vision. God forbid it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has designed well in advance for us to do. You are a designed person. Now, here's a challenge. Are you ready? Let's say you're going to fly to L.A. The, the layers and layers of design that are in that flight, when the food service guys show up, when the plane... Are, rolls up so that the food service people can get on. The people that are hired, the, the, the um, airline stewards, or what do they call them now, uh, flight assistants, you know, when, when they're scheduled, the, the pilots, the, the, the flight patterns, all the things, the security, the, the ticketing agent, all the things, your baggage, the baggage people, just in one single flight, the, the layer of design is remarkable. 
you'll notice that, you know, you've seen before how the, the you know, you may have a stop in Atlanta, and then you got another one in Austin, and then maybe you finally get to, to L.A., and, and so you would see the, all, all that, all, you, know, you got an estimated time of arrival, the ETA, and then there's monitors and that, and there's all the layers in that, all this, all these layers to a flight, just if you're going to say, I'm going to fly from Tampa to L.A., Layers and layers and layers and layers. Are you ready? With all those layers of design, like the layers of your life, you know what can happen? You can miss your flight. So even though God says, I have ordained your life, your days before you, I've got a tremendous, I've got some things made in advance for you, you can miss the flight. One time I was catching a flight in, in uh, Logan Airport in Boston. The train, the subway got stuck underneath the water. You know, it goes underneath the water. You get to the airport out there. And I just sat there and just watched. I'm like, dang it. I only got an hour left. Okay, I've only got like 38 minutes left. And, you know, you have that stress, you know, because you got to go where you got to go. And it's like, ah, dang, I only got two minutes left. Maybe, maybe. It's like, you're a moron. It's not going to happen. The design of my flight didn't change because Steve missed it. You remember... Jonah. Jonah had a design. Jonah had a, 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 a flight pattern with a schedule. I would venture to say that God knew the captain of the, uh, that, that was going to take him there. That God knew the navigator. That God knew, he knew the king's name for sure. He knew all the things. But, you know, Noah's, uh, or, um, Jonah said, nope, I, I'm going to go. The, the word came to, of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah said, you know, I'm going to get another ticket. He went against the design. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Now, I brought a map for us today. Um, Nineveh is all, all the way to the right. Tarshish was all the way to the left. This was the known world for them at the time. This was it. He went the polar opposite to the furthest part in the known world from where God had sent to him. You see the flight pattern from Joppa where we all started to Nineveh? See how short it is? You see how the length of people will go? Even though the design. Now, on the right from Joppa to Nineveh, you know how, you know how God changed that? He didn't. He didn't. It is entirely possible. That when you and I stand before Christ, and we're, we're going to begin a new collection next week about the Bema Seat of Christ. Many Christians don't know. When we stand before Christ, would it, listen, listen carefully, would it not break your heart if God showed you the flight pattern that had so much excitement and jazz and adventure and you missed it? Oh, I, uh, I can't even explain. Press the heartbeat like Steve. This was what it would have been like if you would have allowed me to break your heart for what breaks mine for the kingdom cause. That's what it would have looked like. And you would think, oh, jeez. They say there will be no tears in heaven. It's out of place in the timeline. There will be at the beam of seat of Christ. We'll learn that together. Only later are tears wiped. I wonder if Jonah will stand before God and say, dude, it would, it would have been off the chain, man. Off the chain. So let me say something to you. And this is where it gets hard if it hadn't been hard enough. I'm going to say it again so that you understand my motive. I love you. I love you. I love you enough to challenge you. I love you enough to challenge you. In the church culture, as John Wesley and Martin Luther and Martin Luther King had to look at their culture and say, here's what I see, and here's we're gonna, I'm going to have the guts to address it. Here's what I see in our American culture. We're very migratory. The whole process, as it takes a church culture time to change, we're still, we're just coming out of phase one at 360. 
We have years to develop and years to grow and years to, 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 to put our roots down. We've just got little teeny plants popping out. We're like, oh, we're excited. People are discipling. This is cool. This is new. This is all new. We, we don't have it together. We're trying to keep it together at times. We're, we're, we know this, but we're, we, with the design, we're like, the same is true for you as an American Christian. There is so much draw. There is so much draw to migrate all the time. I could look at my two boys and say, man, this is awesome. They can feed themselves. They can now shower by themselves. That's a big deal. No more tub baths. You know, no more ducks laying, like, slipping on ducks in the bathroom anymore. They can shower. This is awesome. I can now leave them. Really? They're not even adolescent, and neither are we as a church. My point is this. When I look at the men that I have followed for years, let me name them for you. Bill Hybels, Chicago. Larry Osborne, San Diego. Uh, Tony Evans, Dallas, Texas. Uh, um, uh, Erwin McManus in L.A. These are men that have, that have said, I'm not migrating. When I, when I consider the record of who they are, I looked it up. David Jeremiah, Stone Mountain Church, has done marvelous things. David has been there for 33 years. Larry Osborne has been at his church 34 years. Tony Evans has been at his church for 38 years. Rick Warren, 34 years. When I look at a guy like Bill Hybels, just came out of Leadership Summit, riveting, a man of God, unbelievable. When he stands before heaven... I hope that I at least have a nosebleed seat to see what he's done. He's been there for 39 years. They understand that if you're going to grow a place and create something of enduring value, we must stop migrating. We must dig in and say, I am there for the long haul. Anything else is spiritual malpractice unless... You're at a place where there is no vision. There's financial mishaps or misappropriation, a doctrinal uh, error. I get all that. I get all that. And those are justifiable. But we migrate because it looks beautiful east of the river. We migrate because Sally ticked us off last week at the potluck. And God would say, let me Break your heart for what breaks mine for the kingdom cause. Elevate your minds and stay into an enduring relationship. Bill Hybels, as he opened up the leader, the global leadership conference summit, he said these words. Just a few short decades ago, it was perfectly normal for emerging leaders to commit themselves to an organization's mission. For 15 or 20 or even 30 years. Today in church work, it is increasingly common to see short-termers creeping into our workforce. And this starts to keep me awake at night, I kid you not. Because I know and you know that prevailing churches cannot be built on the shoulders with those that have short-term mindsets. They won't be around long enough to build something of enduring value. I'm going to ask you to humor me as we close today. Many of you know that I'm a, I was trained to be a classical musician. I have my doctorate degree in piano, believe it or not. No, that's crazy. I came to Christ in the conservatory in, in, in Boston, probably one of the top five schools in the, in the country. I worked hard at what I did and was training to, to uh, you know, be on the circuit as a classical pianist. After investing year after year after year after year and literally tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, God called me. It's a calling. Steve, I got a different flight pattern for you. I love big cities. If it were my rather, I'd be living in New York City. I love New York. I love Boston. I love Kansas City. I love these places. I like Sarasota. I'm not a beach person. This is my calling. And I love being here because it's God's flight pattern. 
As a classical musician, if I had $10 for every time somebody said to me, oh, man, I wish I could play Rachmaninoff. I'm like, well, sure you do. It's going to require of you eight hours a day, every day of the year, for 10 years. Now come back to me in 10 years, and let me hear what you got. Bill Hybels reminded us that the grander the vision, the greater the price. The grander the vision, the greater the price. In the classical world, if you Googled what's one of the most difficult pieces, what I would say would be the most difficult piece, is Rachmaninoff's Third Piano Concerto. It is my absolute favorite piece. It is feared literally feared by some of the greatest piano giants in the world. It was dedicated to Joseph Hoffman, one of the greatest pianists of the 18th and 19th century. It was De Rachmaninoff dedicated it to him. Are you ready? He was so afraid of it that he never played it. It was so big. This piece is such a... Uh, uh, a monumental piece that I never even opened the front page of it because it was, it's, it's fierce. It's fierce. One of the greatest concert pianists, he's a legend. His name was Vladimir Horowitz. He was a, a Russian pianist. In fact, Horowitz is now dead. His piano, he was the only classical pianist that traveled all around with his own piano. He brought his nine-foot Steinway. This is not like a flute. It's a little hard to carry. It's expensive. It now sits in the Smithsonian Institute. This is how much of a legend. I'm kind of educating you. I do have a point. In 1978, I was a freshman in college in the spring semester. And I'll never forget seeing Horowitz play with the New York Philharmonic in Lincoln Center. It's a tough audience. Horowitz was playing the third concerto of Rachmaninoff. But more stunning than that, his first opening performance of it was in 1930. He had played the piece for over 50 years. And now he was playing to the toughest audience in the world the New York Lincoln Center audience who rarely stand to their feet when someone plays. Not only was this, the, all, everything I said, stunning, but listen, Horowitz was 75 years old. I brought a clip for you today because I want you to feel all of these layers of this amazing event. I remember watching it. I was sitting in a recliner on a little black and white TV. The clip I'm about to show you is just the last two minutes of the piece. But I want you to see that this man dedicated decades just to play this piece. He was willing to invest over and over and over in order to play a masterpiece. Are you excited to hear it? Now, the film is a little sketchy because it's an old YouTube deal, right? So get past that and uh, watch the last two minutes of the Rock Maranoff Piano Concerto. <laughs>
I wonder if you can envision walking onto the platform in heaven because you endured. That you dug in and you didn't migrate. You understood that you, in order to grow something of that magnitude, which most people don't even believe that they can do, you can do it. You can do it. To grow something of that magnitude, it takes time to dig in, to let things grow and not jump off the boat prematurely. There are too many short-termers in the kingdom of Christ. And let me tell you this. When I saw that performance, it changed my life. From that point on for the next decade, seven days a week, 364 days a year, I practiced eight hours a day because I saw that. There are people around you who are waiting and watching you to see if you're going to stick in. Or are you going to be like the rest of the American culture and bail just because it looks better somewhere else? If we're going to endure, we must allow God to break our heart for what breaks his for the kingdom cause. Are you willing? Are you willing? Do you want a masterpiece? It takes time. Do you want something of enduring, amazing, lasting character for the kingdom it takes time it takes time father thank you for reminding us today that we are a designed people living in a designed world it is easy for us god from the outset to just to be random to have church life where we enjoy one another and have a lot of activities with no end goal in mind. I pray, for, I pray God, for your churches. I'll be specific today, God. I pray for your, the churches right here in Sarasota that you would stir us together to not act randomly in a very designed world. Help us, God, to keep on the flight pattern that you've given to us as a church. Even when we are tempted to go astray, to, to get off because of strong voices or the strong voice of culture, and to make things easy, to make things attractive, God, I pray that we'll stay the course. I pray, God, for individuals in this room. I understand, Father, as you do, that not everyone is going to be a Marine Ranger. But I pray, God, that you would raise more of them up in your church culture. Those who are, would be enduring leaders. Those who would not be short-termers, but long-termers. Those who would understand, like men like Bill Hybels and Larry Osborne and Tony Evans and great men of God who understood that it, is, that it takes years to see a, a design come into its fruition fully and operating. I pray that you will raise up leaders in this place, God, who would be willing to pray dangerously, that you would break their heart for what breaks yours for the kingdom's cause. I pray, Father, that we would take easy and put it on the slaughtering altar. I pray, God, that we would take our desires and for the sake of the kingdom, we would break them in half. I pray, God, that 360 would be a church that has enough marine rangers that we could play a masterpiece here of great difficulty because the grander the vision, God, the greater the price. And as leaders, God, I think we go first. So may I say in front of your church today, God, you break my heart. 
for what breaks yours for the kingdom cause. And hopefully others will follow. And when we get to heaven and see the standing ovation, then it will all make sense. I pray this for Christ and his kingdom. Amen.